Today's daf is Memvav. We're beginning at the Mishnah on Memhei Amud Beis. Zok Dehelega Mishnah. Kashroi Balav Mesuros. We're talking about over here a uh, shore that uh, is a tam. Right, we're going to see. And the question is, what is the level that you have to secure your tam in order not to be liable if it goes out and damages? And what's the level that you have to secure your muad in order that you should not be held liable if it goes out of damage? Again, we're all the Mishnah on Memhei Amud Beis. So, So if the owner tied it with a leash, with a rope, or or he locked it in appropriately into a enclosure. Appropriately or inappropriately? A- appropriately, appropriately. Now Rashi says that both of these examples where you tie it up with a rope or where you, tie, or you locked it in, a, in, in an enclosure are considered to be a shmira pchusa. That's the lower level shmira. It's still considered a shmira, but it's a lower level shmira because it protects from a normal wind or from the normal force of an animal that it should be able to withhold, but there are sometimes uh, abnormal winds that'll blow on the enclosure, and there are sometimes animals that have above average strength, and for that it doesn't necessarily protect. So you did a, it's called a lower shmira, and not necessarily, not the higher shmira. So what's the din over there? So echad tam echad muav, so Rav Meir's shita is that a lesser shmira is not a protection, not on a tam or a muad. means either tam or muad break loose, the owner is going to be held liable. It's, going to still, it's considered as if he was negligent. Because according to Rav Meir, in order to protect from the, the liability from a, both a tam or a muad, you need to have a shmira ma'ulo. You have to have the higher level shmira, where it takes into account that there might be an above a, a, a normal wind, a, an abnormal wind, or there might be an ox with above average strength. And therefore, therefore, until you do a shmira ma'ula, you have not uh, protected yourself from liability. That is the position of Rav Meir. Rav Yehuda, Yehuda, we've had this before, which is somewhat counterintuitive. He says, Tam Chayev Muad Potter, the lesser. Shmira does not protect you in the case of Tom, but it does protect you in the case of Muad. And we'll see a couple of svaras why that should be. But he bases his really on the Pazakh. That the Pazakh says that you did not do any safeguarding. The reason why you chai by Muad that you did not do any safeguarding. So he understands, which means if you did some type of safeguarding, even a safeguarding which is the lesser safeguarding, you are exonerated. But that's only by the Muad. That only helps you by the Muad. It doesn't help you by the Tom. This one, you did a lesser shmira. It helped. You did, you did a shmira. It was some kind of shmira, and therefore it exonerates you. But that's only by the muad. That doesn't help you out the time. The time you have to have the higher level shmira. Rabbi which we had also yesterday, Omer, he says, When it comes to a muad, is that really by a muad, the only type of shmira that we're going to learn the sugi like Rashi will help protect you from liability is shechting the animal, which means that basically there's no shmira to protect you from liability by a muad. So it comes out, there's a, there's, uh, there are three shitas by muad, and they all agree by tam, right? 
means what are the three sheetas by Muad? The three sheetas by Muad, Rav Meir holds that Muad has to be a higher level Shmira. Rabbi Yehuda holds that a Muad has to be a lower level Shmira sufficient. And Rabbi Lezer holds is that there's no Shmira sufficient, you have to go and shecht it. By Tom, we don't necessarily see there's a machlo, because by Tom, it could be. Rabbi Meir clearly says Tom has to have a higher level Shmira. Rabbi Yehuda clearly says that Tom has to have a higher level Shmira. And there's no reason to think Rabbi Lezer disagrees with that. He just says that a Muad, even a higher level Shmira, doesn't help. Okay. Now, says this morning that we're going to go through and try to explain each one of these positions. So my time under Rav Meir. What is the reasoning for Rav Meir who holds that uh, you need a higher level shmirah both for Tzai, Tom, and Muad. Your lower level shmirah does not help by either one. Someone says like this, Kasavar, he is of the position, meaning like this, the Torah's perspective what is the norm? What is the standard? The Torah is telling you you're, you're obligated for time if you did not go above what the standard is. The question is, what is the standard? So, right, so he says, He said, regular shore, a regular ox is generally not safeguarded by the owner. They don't pay attention to their oxen, all right? Which is why, that means, therefore, if your tom damages, and generally you're not watching your tom, you're going to be chayev. Therefore, what is the uh, appropriate behavior is that you have to go above what the norm is. The norm is not to watch, and therefore, what would be going above it? It should be lechorah, should be sufficient for the tom to do what? Going above the norm means even doing a lower level shmiro would be going above the norm. So technically, it should come out, even though Rameh doesn't say this at the end, but it should come out that for a tom, what do you need? Just the minimum, minimum shmirah should be sufficient, okay? Okay, fine. So it comes out that when you first study the parasha of Tom in the Torah, I would think that if I go above what the norm is, which is not to watch it at all, a minimum shmirah should be sufficient to exonerate me, to not hold me liable. But then the Torah goes and says, When it comes to the muad, is that if you have a muad and you did not safeguard it, means that you did not safeguard it. What the Mora assumes right now is that what it means is that what you did for the Tom, which the Tom we said right now is all you need is the lower, it's considered not guarded in the Mu'ad, which means for the Mu'ad clearly you would have to go an upper level. So therefore, Gabe Mu'ad and a boile Shmira which means according to Rav Meir, you need to have a Shmira Ma'ula. Okay, so now the way it stands, it should be that a Tom, a lower level Shmira should be sufficient, and by a Mu'ad, you should require a higher level Shmira. But we have a Gzairah Shava. We have a Gzairah Shava, Kiyigach, Kiyigach, between Tom and Mu'ad. And once we've shown you that by Mu'ad you need to have an upper level Shmira, therefore by Tom you have to go back and have an upper level Shmira. So that really explains whose position? Position of Rav Meir, which is you need to have an upper level Shmira for both. All right? So therefore, Yolif Nagich Tom, Nagich Mu'ad, Gzairah Shava, Yigach, Yigach for Tom and Mu'ad. And that's how we come out with a Shita of Rav Meir. Okay, now let's go to the next opinion. What does Rabbi Yehuda hold? Rabbi Yehuda says the baseline is not the way Rav Meir understood it. He said the baseline is that people will start off, most people will watch their oxen at a lower level shmira. Most people understand that you have to give a lower level shmira, and yet the Torah says that if your ox gores, it's not sufficient. 
So therefore, obviously, the Torah initially, if you just read the parasha of Tom, means the lower level Shmira, which everybody does not enough. So you would come out thinking that a Tom needs to have a higher level Shmira. That's what you would have assumed. So therefore, Rabbi Yehuda Savar, Stam that most oxen, Becheska Shimur Kaimi, there's at least a basic Shmira that a person understands he needs to have. And still the Torah says, it's not enough, you have to pay. So therefore, by Tom, you see the Torah is already emphasizing you need to have a higher level Shmira. Then the Torah writes that you let, if you did not safeguard your muad. Now let's understand this for a moment. The Rishonim speak out. It can't be telling me that even a higher level Shmira is not enough. Rabbi Yehuda understands it's not telling me that. So what is it telling me? It means the higher level of Shmira that I required by Tom, you did not give by a muad, which means it's really telling me you also need to have a higher level of Shmira, otherwise you're going to be Chayev. Right? Now, let's understand this for a moment. One second. You already told me Tom needs a higher level Shmira. And now you're coming to tell me, Loya Shmirena teaches me that if you don't do the higher level Shmira, you're going to be Chayev by Muad. That would seem to be somewhat redundant. Why is that somewhat redundant? If you already have a source that Tom has to be a higher level Shmira, why do I need another Leish Mareno to teach me that Muad has to be a higher level Shmira? And we have a rule in the Torah that if you have a reboy after a reboy and inclusion after inclusion, that A, you need a higher level Shmira for Tom, and B, you need a higher level for Muad, which is not necessary, what's the rule when you have an inclusion after inclusion? Then the second one does not function to include, but actually it comes to exclude, which would therefore mean that you don't need the higher level Shmira for Muad, actually you can get away with the lower level Shmira. The low Yishmireno then would be saying is, if you do not safeguard it at all, but as long as you safeguard it a little bit, that would be sufficient for a Muad. Now again, counterintuitive, but we're going to see, just, we're going to see the Psukim, how it comes out, then maybe we'll say a Sforo. So what it says like this. So they've had the Amarachmon of lo Yishmireno, Gabe Muad, all right? The Navadei Shmira Muad means if you didn't do uh, the sufficient Shmira that you would have thought is required, which I would have thought is the higher level Shmira, because I already see by time you have the requirement of higher level Shmira. You didn't do it, therefore you therefore you'd be higher because you need to have the higher level Shmira. But have a riboy, a riboy. But then it comes out that it's an inclusion after inclusion. The Torah is emphasizing Tom needs a Shmira Meula, and Muad needs a Shmira Meula, and therefore. But the rule is It comes that the second one instead of adding is the Detracting, and therefore, so therefore, miuta kasev l'shmira mula. You do that. Torah is detracting from the requirement of a shmira maula by muad, and therefore, you need only by muad. You need a shmira pusa. Aye, but now what about this Xerah Shava? If you make the Xerah Shava now between Tom and muad, then you should say just as muad only now requires a lesser shmira then so too it should come out at the end of the day. Time also should only require a lesser shmira. Maybe you'll ask, right? So he says, no. The reason why Rabbi Yehuda holds you don't do it because in the Pasuk of, of Muad, it says, Lo yishmerenu is, uh, is, is implies that it's what, what you're learning from that, uh, from that clause applies it. It will not be safeguarded. Now what is the it going on? What's it going on the Muad? Which means this din is specific 
Since we learned from Leishmi Rena that you don't need to have Mu'ad, that you don't have to have a Shmira Mu'ad, only Shmira Pusa, and that the Pusik's implying that this one you can get away with a Shmira, what does that tell you? Don't make the Xerah Shava and don't apply this Din to the Tam. That's how, uh, how Rabbi Yehuda learns it. And therefore, Leishmi Rena, he did not guard it. Lazed, this one, you did not guard with the, uh, the lower level, which you only require. But so therefore, but but you don't have a right to make this limitation apply to another one, i.e. the Tam. So the Tam still has to be the Shmira Ma'ula, and the Mu'ad, you can get away with the Shmira Pchuso. Now, says they want like this, that usually when you're going to use a, 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 an expression to say that it's limited to this one and not another one, it really should be redundant. But if you need it, if you need it for the simple shot in the pasuk, if you need it already, you're applying it for some other reason, then how can you use it to limit the time if you need it, right? Someone says, Did we not say the loyish mereno was being used to teach me that you don't have to have the higher level of Shmira, but you can use the lower level of Shmira. So since I'm already using Loish Mareno to teach me that a Mu'ad, you can get away with a lower level Shmira, how can you also use it to exclude learning it, applying it to Tam? I'm already using it to teach me the basic halacha that you can get away with a lower level Shmira for a Mu'ad. How can you use the same word to tell me also you cannot apply that to a Tam? So Gmar says, to teach me that you don't need a higher level Shmira but you can get away with a lower level Shmira because we said Lo can't become if it's coming to tell me that I need to have a higher level then it would be a reboy after a reboy so therefore it must be coming to tell me you can even get away with a lower level then you just had to write the word Lo Yishmar Lo Yishmarenu is much more specific it's telling you it this din that I just learned is specifically focused on the Mu'ad and should not be applied to the tongue. So therefore, so so far we've come out right now explaining Rav Meir. Rav Meir learns is that the basic understanding would be that people don't watch their animals at all. So a tam should be sufficient to get away with a lower level shmiro. And the Pazak then would then be going up for the level of, you didn't even do the basic level shmiro for the Mu'ad. If you didn't, it's, it, that's, that, it, that's not enough. You need to have a higher level shmiro. But then you have Xerah Shava teach me just as Mu'ad needs a higher level shmiro, so to the tam needs. That's what Rav Meir Rabbi Yehuda starts off is that people generally do a lower level Shmira. So therefore, people don't do a level Shmira, then why is the person Chayim? Because that's not enough. You need to have a higher level Shmira. Then it says, Lo is mashma, that you didn't do that higher level Shmira because it's no higher than a higher level Shmira. What other Shmira would there be? So therefore, it must be that you can get away with a lower level Shmira, according to Rabbi Yehuda. Because I don't need a Reboy after a Reboy, so it's a Mir. I why not make the Xerashava? He learns as a Loish Merenu, tells me it only applies here, not there. Comes out. Tom needs a, a higher level Shmira and Muad needs a lower level Shmira. Okay? Now, so now we're going to add a fourth opinion. In the Mishnah, we saw three opinions. Now we're going to add a fourth opinion. Tanam Lantan Braisa. Rebeleza ben Yaakov Omer, he says, Echatam Echat Muad, Shashamra Shmira Pusa Potter. He holds that a lower level Shmira suffices both for the Tom and for the Muad. All right, my time. And now let's understand, what is the opinion of Rabbi Lezben Yaakov? What is it? It's really a combination of the Limud of Rabbi Yehuda and Rav Meir. 
How is it a combination? He agrees with the lambdas. Rabbi Yehuda learned. Rabbi Yehuda learned that the baseline is people normally have a good shmirah, and therefore by Tom it's coming to tell me you need a higher level shmirah. I don't need a ribuy achva ribuy. So therefore muad I can get away with a lower level shmirah. Now what he doesn't agree with is the limitation that you only learn it to muad and you don't make the gzera shava. He holds like Rav Meir you do make the gzera shava. Well if you make the gzera shava and muad became that comes out that Tom is going to be lower too and therefore both of them is a Shmura Pusa according to Rabbi Loz ben Yaakov he does the Xerishova the way Rabbi Meir learned the Xerishova so the initial understanding of how he gets up to the level of how he gets to the point of Shmura Pusa for Muad he agrees with Rabbi Yehuda the one step that Rabbi Yehuda is not willing to make and he does is to make the Xerishova to apply it back to the laws of Tom okay now Says the more as follows, and I'm going to tell you the the Tosa speaks this out over here. But we've had this opinion a number of times. We're going to see it's not universal. There are going to be opinions disagree. But in the Shita of Rabbi Yehuda, right? Rabbi Yehuda, and this will give this will give us a little bit of an understanding, right? The, 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 what's counterintuitive? What makes no sense in the Shita of Rabbi Yehuda? How could it be that the Tom has a higher level of Shmira than a Moad? Right. So comes along Rav Adabar Av and he says that's because we're not understanding completely how Rabbi Yehuda understands how Tom works. If you knew how Rabbi Yehuda understands how Tom works, then you would not have that question. Why? He says must be that what Rabbi Yehuda holds, listen carefully here, is Rabbi Yehuda holds that a Tom is Chatzinezek. All right? And the Torah requires on a Tom, according to Rabbi Yehuda, that you have to have what kind of Shmirah? You have to have a higher level Shmirah. Then the Torah says, you know what, if this animal gores three times, then what? Then it becomes a muad. But what Rabbi Yehuda's shita is, it becomes a muad on the remaining 50%. Meaning that this animal now is a combination between a tam and a muad. And the halachas will apply. The first 50% will be the laws of tam. The second 50% will be the laws of muad. You're, at the end of the day, you're going to collect... 100% from the, the mazik, however, the, the laws of Tom are going to be 50 of it's going to come from the animal itself, from the value of the animal. The remaining 50% can be taken from the guy's house, from the guy's assets. But also what it's going to make a difference is, is that the first half, in order for the Tom to kick in the laws of Tom, that's based on you had to have a shmira me'ula. If you did not have a shmira me'ula, then you are going to have to pay. But if you did have a Shmira Mula, let's say you had the high level Shmira, then you would not be paying on the Tom part. By the way, you wouldn't be paying on the Mu'ad either, because the Shmira Ma'ula for sure helps on the Mu'ad part. Where is it going to come out of difference? Let's say you had, if you had now, let's say you had no Shmira at all, you're completely negligent, then you're going to have this situation where you're going to pay 100%, 50 for Tom and 50 for Mu'ad. But let's say you had a lower level Shmira. So if you had a lower level Shmira, you're going to only get 50% payment, but that 50% payment's gonna come based on the Tom, because the lower level Shmira, I'm sorry, based on, on, on the Muad part, because the lower level Shmira, I'm sorry, it'll be based on the Tom part, because the lower level Shmira did not help you for the Tom, it did help you for the Muad. But what do you see over here is the insight. How is it possible that for a Muad you need less Shmira than you need for a Tom? Because the shot is, because even when it became a Muad, you still don't need less Shmira for the Tom part. 
For the time part, you're going to have to still have the high-level Shmira. But it's almost like since we're making you pay the extra 50% for the Mu'ad part, we're not going to require you on the Mu'ad part to have the high-level Shmira. Because anyway, we know that you have to have the high-level Shmira for the first 50%. He says, that's the only way, Tosas explains, that's the only way that could make sense in Yehuda. How could it be that for a Mu'ad, we're asking you to do less than for a Tom? Because at the end of the way, we're not really asking you to do less because the t- it's not that you're dropping your level of Shmira on what was. Because what was, that level of Shmira is going to have to stay the same for. But it's just the new part of it, there we're giving you a little bit of break that you could have a lesser a level of Shmira. That's, that is Rabbi Adabar Avis Pshat. With me? What's that? What Rabbi Yehuda says that you are exempt from having the higher level Shmira and you can get away with a lower level of Shmira to be potter is only on the additional part of the Muad. But the original part of the Tam that you had to have the higher level of Shmira that that stays and does not go back. You never drop down for the level of Shmira. That remains in its place. Okay, now, I'm a Rav. Rav says something over here, which is going to require a little bit of an analysis. Says Rav, Muad lekeren yamin, ena muad lekeren small. That if an animal was goring dafka with its right, it favored its right horn over its left horn. It means any time animal stood to its right, it gored. Animals only stood to its left, it didn't gore. Which means this favors goring to the right as opposed to favor goring to the left. So what's happened over here? According to Rav, Muad, it'll be a Muad for the right horn, whereas it remains a Tam for the left side, for the left horn. Okay, now let me give you the insight, the, the way the Mephorshim explained this. Now the question is, what's the novelty of it? What is he trying to say? So what it says like this, to tell me that it's possible that one animal sometimes pays Nezek Sholem and one animal sometimes pays Chatsi Nezek, that's not, a no- yes, that's not a novelty. Because we already had a Mishnah before. If an animal shows that it gores people and it doesn't gore uh, animals, so then it's a Muad for Adam and it's not a Muad for man. And that's even a bigger Chiddush over there because it takes, you have to be more of a vicious animal to be able to nail a person than you have to be to be able to nail an animal. And still you see that one animal can be both a Muad and a Tom. So in terms of payment, they want to understand there's no novelty over here that you could have within the same animal. Sometimes you pay full time, sometimes you pay half. That Rav could not be needing to tell me that because I already see that from a Mishnah that we had before. So they want to understand what he must be saying is it must be that not only just the Gabe payment, but Gabe Shmira. He's trying to tell me sometimes for the right horn, you have to have a different type of Shmira because it's Muad, then the left horn, because it's Tom. Now the question is, we've have, we have four shitas over here. Which of the four shitas is Rav going in that'll tell you that for one horn you need one type of Shmira, for another horn you need a different type of Shmira? Everyone hear the question? So Amr ibn Yeshiva said, I'll leave it to man. According to which opinion did Rav come along and say this? Now, I'll leave it Rav Meir. According to Rav Meir, can't be. Because Rav Meir said that the same level of Shmira is required, whether it's a Tom, whether it's a Mood, you have to have a higher level of Shmira. So it makes no difference. Right horn, left horn, the payment will make a difference. But he said, we don't need it for payment. So therefore, the Gabe Shmira, they both will have the same level of Shmira. So you don't need it in the sheet of Rav Meir. Clear? 
Ha'amar echad tam echad muach shmira mula ba. You need higher level shmira. Now i aliba the Rabbi Yehuda. Now maybe in the sheet of Rabbi Yehuda. Right, because Rabbi Yehuda did make a difference. Tom, he said, needs a lower. Le- I mean, Muad needs a lower level shmirah. Tom needs a higher level shmirah. It doesn't really fit in the position of Rabbi Yehuda either, because even Rabbi Yehuda said that when the animal becomes a Muad, it doesn't mean that the whole animal now drops down to a lower level of shmirah. Half of the animal still requires a higher level shmirah on the tam part of it. So therefore, the right horn that it became a muad wouldn't drop down to having a lower level shmirah because you still have contained within it the tam portion that needs the higher level. So both horns still would require a higher level shmirah. So it cannot be going in the shita of Rabbi Yehuda either. So, my area killing tomorrow. What do you mean, dafka the area? Why is it specifically saying that the left horn needs a different shmirah? Let's say, give me a lower level, I mean, a higher, a, a higher level shmirah. I feel it be a min. Even the right horn, even if it became moored on the right side, it doesn't mean it can get away with a lower level shmirah. I feel it be nami. Is beitzad tamus, is beitzad mus. In the muad part, the right horn, some of it is still tam, some of it is still muad. Therefore, it still needs a higher level shmirah on the right side too. So it can't be going in the sheet of Rabbi Huda. So we're back to our question. So what, who in whose shita is Rav making a distinction that on one side you need a shmirah for a muad and the other side you need a shmirah for a tam? Who's it going like? So Amri, it could be going like the Shita of Rabbi Yehuda. Now, what the Gemara says like this, but Rabbi Yehuda disagreed with Rabbi Adabar Avra. I mean, Rabbi Adabar Avra, just a whole lumps, just the whole swara, that in the Shita of Rabbi Yehuda, when he says that you need a lesser Shmirah for a Muad, it only means for part of it, but the other part still remains a Tom. He doesn't agree with it. He says, read Rabbi Yehuda the way Rabbi Yehuda said, that when an animal becomes a Tom, when the animal goes from being Tom to a Muad, it drops down from a higher level Shmirah to a lower level Shmirah, and he doesn't buy into this, that part of it still becomes a Muad, it becomes a Muad, part of it still remains a Tom. Rav does not agree that's Pshat and Yehuda. Yehuda is the whole thing becomes a Muad. That's how Rav learned. Now you can see there's a difference. Because on the right horn, since the whole thing is a Muad, you only need a lesser level Shmirah. Which part, which horn needs a higher level Shmirah? The Tom part. What's the Tom part? That's only the left horn. That's Pshat in Rav. So when it says like this, But he does not agree with Rav Ada's interpretation. This is what Rav is saying. That This is the only way who The only way in the sheet of Rav Yehuda you'll have part of being Tom and part of it being Muad, not in the same horn. It won't be. Part of it will be in the right horn, it'll be completely Muad, and the left horn will be completely Tom. That's the only way in the Sheet of Yehuda, part could be Tom with a lesser Shmirah, uh, with, with a higher Shmirah, part could be Muad with a, with a, high, with a lesser Shmirah. That's the only way you're going to get it. But if the animals are full Muad, within that Muad, there is no Tzatam disagreeing with the Sheet of Rad Ava Bar Ava. So the Meiri and the Pnei Yeshua both say over here, one second, but if Ana Bar Ava had a large to say that an animal doesn't drop down in Shmir completely because the Muad still remains, the Tom part of it still remains in place. But if according to according to Rav, when Rabbi Yehuda says that it goes from being a Tom to be completely a Muad, we're back to our question. So what's the logic? <coughs> Why would you say that it goes from being a higher level Shmira by a Tom to a lower level Shmira by Muad? That, that question now returns. And what the, what the Pnei Shua suggests is like this. He says that when a person, when, when an animal becomes a Muad, it becomes well known. 
Everybody knows. And what happens when an animal, everybody knows it's a muad, everybody knows to stay away. Well, everybody knows to stay away. That actually makes it now that I have to have a lesser shmirah on it. I don't have to have the original higher shmirah. That's how they explain the sheet of Rav in, 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 in explaining the position of Rabbi Yehuda. Right? All right. Now, the, la- the, in the, the third opinion in the Mishnah was Rabbi Yezer. Rabbi Yezer, he says, when it comes to a muad, the only way to safeguard a muad is to slaughter it. Now, the Pashim Shat means, and if you don't slaughter it, then you're always liable no matter what type of safeguarding you had. For so, either of them. No, no, he said that on Rab. He said on muad. He said on muad. On muad. Right. He said on muad. Now, Moses is like this. I'm a Rabbi. My time is Rabbi Yezer. What's the reason, Rabbi Yezer? I'm a crow. Lo yishmerenu. He says like this, the Pazak says that if you have a muad, now the simplest understanding is you didn't safeguard it. He understands what loishmerna means is that it cannot be safeguarded. The loishmerna means there's nothing you can do to safeguard it. The only thing you can do is shechted. Shuv ein loishmerna leh. There's no shmira for it at lezef, for this animal. So when it says like this, if you're understanding the leish merena means that there's no, it, it, it cannot be safeguarded and you're always going to be liable, then let me ask you a question. You have a similar situation. It says that if a person digs a, a, a pit, a person digs a pit in an area where people are walking, and he says, and he doesn't cover it. Now, the simple understanding is that if he covers it, then he exonerates himself, he takes away his liability. But you're saying if lo yishmerena by the ox means, and you don't safeguard, it means it cannot be safeguarded, then say by the, then of course it should not be able to tra- translate it the same way. But how do you know it doesn't mean over there, lo yichaseno, that it cannot be covered, and you're chayiv, even if you put a cover in, and something then, a, 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 something, a, a, a not normal wind blew it away, or somebody came and took it away, you should still be chayiv. If you understand, that's what it means lo yishmerena, so why is lo yichaseno any different? Someone said, I'm a rabbi, my time at the Rebelezer, I'm a Karlish Marina. Shuv ain't le Shmirla. Frecting more, I'm a Leabaya, Elamata, based on this. Dexiv by a pit that says, Lelecha said, and you don't cover it. So, Nami Shuv ain't le Kisulazer. Should mean that there's no way to cover it, and you're always going to be held liable. Well, maybe that is the truth. How do we know that Rebelezer wouldn't understand it that way? Moses says, can't. Because we have a Mishnah, Svatanan, We have a, a, a Mishnah that says clearly, this Mishnah says that if you did, you dug a hole, and then you covered it, okay, and somebody else came and removed it, that the original owner is potter. So you see that lo yechaseno is not understood as it cannot be covered. And it doesn't mean that. It means that you didn't cover it, your chavit, you did cover it, you'd be potter. So then how do you know, why do you say that lo means it cannot be safeguarded by an ox, whereas lo yechaseno means, that means you didn't cover it, but it doesn't mean that it cannot be covered. What's the difference, all right? Uh, I guess, and we know that that Mishnah is a divrei call. Everyone agrees with that. It wouldn't be arguing with that Mishnah. So El Amar Abaya, Hainer Tam Drebelezer. Pshat and Drebelezer is as follows. Get a sign of learned in Brisa. Now I'm going to learn this the way I think Rashi seems to imply. Take a look, Tosfos. There are other ways to learn this, but what, the way I think the way I, let me say it outside. But the way I think Rashi is understanding, we have a Rab Nosson says like this. Rab Nosson says, Adam How do you know you're not allowed to raise a, a, a vicious dog, a dog that's an attacking dog in your house? You're not allowed to put a shaky ladder within your house. It means you're not allowed to create situations that other people could end up getting damaged 
buy it. How do we know that? You're not allowed to place blood in your house. That's written by Maka, but you have to have a parapet around your house. You're not allowed to create situations that somebody else is going to get damaged for it. Now, therefore, I already know that there's a violation for doing something that could cause somebody else. With it, with your property, you've got to be careful not to cause somebody any damage. Now, if that's true, then I understand I shouldn't have a muad. Because having a muad is that a violation of that. So therefore, why is the Torah telling me and you did not safeguard it? It must be telling me like this. It must be saying even more that because you might think, okay, you're not allowed to have a, 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 a shara muad and you're in violation, you're gonna be liable. But maybe though, if you safeguarded it, you tied it up in chains, whatever, maybe then already you should not be held liable for it. Kamash Malan, lo yishmerena. Now what's it coming to teach me? That you didn't safeguard it. I know if you didn't safeguard that I'm going to be liable because the boss says you don't want to have anything that could cause somebody damage. So it must be coming to tell you that over here it doesn't mean that you didn't safeguard it. Over here it must mean that you should, that, that it doesn't even help to safeguard him. That's what it means over here, Loish Merena. So now, the, the only thing is, so that, but, but by the case of Loish Chasena over there, by the way, it doesn't say, uh, uh, so, they, so what, why don't we say the same thing? Tosa says, why don't we say the same thing by the pit? So Tosa says over there is it must be that a pit that's covered is more safe than an animal that is tied up. A pit that's covered, you've taken away the source of the problem. But an animal that's tied up, it's still a problem, it just, and therefore it's a bigger problem by an animal. That's what tells us wants to be mechalic between the two. But there are other ways to, to perhaps uh, try and answer this. But anyway, let's see it. So the more says like this. So therefore, We are now beginning chapter 5, Perak Hei, in Meseches Baba Kama. Zog all right, we touched on this earlier. If you have an ox that gored a cow. Now this cow was pregnant, and the way the Rishonim explained this, and there were witnesses that saw the goring, but they were not close enough to see the specific details. And the issue was over here, and the fetus was found by its side. The Enyadu, and it's not known to us, that we don't know, was the fetus pregnant prior to the goring or had it miscarried because of the trauma before it was gored. Now, why does that make a difference? Because we're dealing with a tongue. And if we're dealing with a tom, no, I'm sorry, here, here it doesn't make a difference really. Because the point over here is that we are dealing with a tom, we'll see in a moment. But the point is that are we going to hold, it has to be a direct damage to hold someone liable. So if he gored a pregnant cow, then the animal's goring is responsible for the death of the fetus as well. Then you can hold him liable both for the cow and the fetus. But if the animal, because it was afraid, miscarried before it was gored, then you can only hold the owner of the cow responsible for the goring of the animal of the ox, responsible for the goring of the cow, but you cannot hold him responsible for the goring of the fetus yeah, it's scared, but scaring is not a force, a source of damage because of the trauma that it was running away from an ox. That would not be enough. It would be an indirect source to be able to hold him responsible. So what do you do here? So now, so Mara says as follows. 
So we don't know was the goring before the uh, miscarriage or after the miscarriage. It's a tam. So on the cow itself, you're responsible for 50% of the damages to the cow. But you only have to pay 25% damages for the fetus. Now, why is that? Now, we're going to see the Chachamim Shita over here would be is that the bearer of proof is on the claimant. So what should be the rule according to Rachamim? So therefore, the, the, the owner of the ox should say, listen, you have witnesses, my animal gored your cow, I'll pay you the 50% damages to the cow. You want me to pay for the damages to the fetus? You need to bring proof that what? Directly, and therefore I don't have to pay anything. However, we're going to see this Mishnah goes like Sumchus. Sumchus holds that even when there's a rule of Motzim Chaveril Varaya, it's trumped by when there's a drought of Mamona, when there's clearly a situation that begs us to deal with. You have uh, circumstantial evidence of it. We have a dead cow, we have a dead calf, we have an ox that was seen goring. So therefore in this case, it's not the regular case, I come and say, that's my watch. We'll prove it's your watch. There is circumstantial evidence that lends credence to the claim that what? That the ox did create Therefore, in such a case, when you're not sure what to do, 25, 25 yeah, it's Hulkin, you divide it. Since you divide it, the Chatsi Nezek becomes a quarter Nezek, so you pay a Chatsi Nezek on the cow and a quarter Nezek on the fetus. That's Simchus's ruling over here, as we'll see in the Gemara. So therefore, that's the Sheetah. Now, let's flip the case. Let's say you had over here, it wasn't the cow chasing the pregnant, it wasn't the ox chasing the pregnant cow, but let's say it was the pregnant cow chasing the ox. And the Adam C, the cow, give the ox a zetz, and the ox now is obliterated, and now you have to pay damages. Let's say that you have $200 of ox now is worth zero, completely wiped out by the pregnant cow. Now the issue at hand is as follows. The cow also miscarried. Now, why does this make a difference? Because we know when you assess for a tom, you can only obsess capped at the value of the animal that caused the damage. Now, it makes a difference over here because if the animal was pregnant at the time of the goring and only miscarriage subsequently, so you have a right to claim the 50%, not just from the cow, but you also have a right to claim your 50% from the fetus as well. Whereas if the miscarriage happened prior to the cow goring the ox, then the owner of the uh, cow only has to pay up to 50% of the cow. But you cannot claim anything from the fetus because the fetus wasn't around during the time of the goring. It already had been miscarried. You hear the difference? So why is it like this? So too if a cow gored an ox, and we found, we saw the goring, we couldn't tell exactly the miscarriage before or after. And it's not known. Was the birth, the miscarriage before it gored, and therefore they cannot count the offspring, the fetus, as part of the goring. Maybe only subsequent. 
to the goring was there a miscarriage, and then it is part of the goring. Mishtalem chatsi nezek minapara, half damages are paid from the body of the cow. Vervinezek and quarter damages are paid from the, from the body of the fetus. Now, this right now, the way it stands, is a little difficult because it's mashma, you get half from the cow and a quarter, which means you're mashma, you're getting 75%. But horror, Tom, you never get 75%, you only get 50 So we have to word this in a way that makes sense. We're going to see a machlok as a bayan rover at the end of today's daf. Okay, let's go on. How is this different than the first case in the Mishnah where you got half from the cow and a quarter? No, because over there we're talking about that, the, that you, you're collecting, you're, you're, you're paying. I have to pay for either for the one entity, is. either I have to pay for the cow, the owner of the ox has to pay for the cow, he might have to pay, so it's not paying, it, uh, he has to pay for the damages he caused, chatzin nezek. So that means chatzin nezek, he has to pay for the cow. Quarter nezek, because we're not sure. But you're not paying more than the requirement has to be. At the end of the day, you're not paying more than half damages. It's when you're paying less than half damages. Here over here, it's mashma that you're getting half the damages you're paying for, uh, from the, the owner of the cow. Has right. the half, half already, he's already covered half. Right. And then he has That's to pay an additional more. quarter. It's mashma, he's paying more than the half. But that we'll see if the can't mean that. We'll see what it means. All right. So, Amr Rabbi Huda Amr Shmuel. Zudibre Sumchus. Someone says that this is the position of Sumchus that you take into the account that maybe there was, in, in the, you have to pay for the fetus, the death of the fetus, because Amr Mamun Amr Lubsafakhokin that you have to divide when there is a doubt. But according to the Chachamim, that would not be the ruling. Because if you come to the owner of the ox and say, you have to pay for my cow and you have to pay for my fetus, he will say to you, I have to pay for your cow. You have witnesses that my, that my ox gored your cow. But you do not have any witnesses that the cow was pregnant at the time. It's possible that the cow had miscarried. And if the cow had miscarried, then why should I pay for it? And therefore, mom and I'm, so I, I don't say that you divide if you don't know. I say that you have to have prove it or you don't get paid. So This is a major principle in the laws of financial judgments. The burden of proof is on the claimant and if you cannot prove it, you don't get paid. So they would disagree with paying 25% from the Uber because they would say you can't get anything for the Uber unless you can bring proof that that's what happened. So what it says like this. It's very interesting lotion. This is a great principle. Why do you have to set that? T- Just say this is the rule. We disagree because I'm Muslim. Why do I have to say it? This is a great principle in the laws of financial judgments. Why do I have to say that? So why there's two reasons. It's It's necessary. The first answer is that this will be the rule even if, let's say, the damaged party says, I was there. I saw what happened. So he's called a bari. means his claim is a claim of certainty. Whereas the owner of the ox doesn't know what happened. He's only a Shema. Might be, might not. So you might think that a Bari trumps a Shema. Kamash Malans comes to teach me that the rule of a Motzi Mechavero Lavaraya goes even against a Tainas Bari. Even if the defendant the, is, 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 doesn't know what happened. And even if the claimant claims that he does know what happened, the power of a Motzi Mechavero Lavaraya even trumps a certainty, a claim of certainty. So therefore, a Motzi Lavaraya, we still apply and the burden of proof is on the claimant, even when the claimant says, I know what happened and the defendant does not. Inami, or another way you could explain why they said this is a uh, major rule principle 
in, 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 in financial judgments. It's coming to, uh, to, uh, to the principle that it's saying how powerful it is, is according to that which was stated. Now we're going to bring down a machlokas Rav and Shmuel. So therefore in the Shita of Shmuel, that's showing the power of a Mechavera Lavarai. We'll see why Davka in the Shita of Shmuel. But what does it say? It says, The case over here was, is that Reuven sold Shimon an ox, all right? And then Shimon finds out that this is a goring ox, that this ox goes around and gores. Now, what's the issue over here? Now, Shimon claims that just as majority of people, when they buy in an agricultural society, they buy an ox, it's for purposes of plowing, not for purposes of shechita. Therefore, although it was not necessarily spoken out, that should have been understood. And the fact that you gave me an ox that gores, the only way that I can be sure that I'm not going to have liabilities to shecht it, now you have caused me a problem because I didn't want it for shechita. I didn't want it to eat meat. I don't have enough people that are going to eat that meat. I needed it for plowing, and therefore it's a mekachtos, and you got to give me back my money. Okay, that's what Shimon claims. Reuven says, well, you should have known I shecht, I sold it to you for shechita. The fact that you didn't clarify it, too bad. It, what, uh, uh, it's buyer beware. You're stuck with this animal and I don't have to give you back your money. So that's the machloka. So what's the ruling over here? So let's see. So Rav says you can claim mekachtos. Shmuel Amar, and, and, and you have to give back your money and he has to get, and he gives you back the cow, and uh, the, the ox. And Shmuel Amar, that we allow the seller to say that my intent was to sell it to you for shechita, and that's why I did not tell you it was a goring ox, because you're going to shecht it anyway, and therefore you cannot claim mekachtos, I do not have to give you back your money, I do not have to take back my ox. So what it says like this. Now, what's the rule over here? Now we're going to see. Rav holds by money that you arrove, a majority goes into play. And since the majority of people do buy and sell for purposes of plowing, therefore you, the, the, the upper hand is given to the buyer. And since he got something that was not generally what the rove of people do it, he has a claim and his rove takes, uh, overpowers the fact that he's a uh, because you're going to say, well, I'm holding on to the money. You want to take away the money from me and give me back my ox? Bring a proof. I don't have to bring a proof, says Rav, because you go by the majority. The majority is enough of a proof. Shmuel, we're going to see holes that by moment, when it comes to monetary matters, we don't follow a rove and we have to take the mute into account. And therefore, that mute is not, uh, is that he might have sold it for the sake of shechita, that might have been what he intended. And therefore, you want to prove that, uh, that he sold it to you for, for, for plowing purposes and therefore you can get your money back. The burden of proof now is on you, even though is on the claimant, even though the robe supports the claimant, but a robe is not strong enough to take away from the rule of Motz Mechaber of Araya. So therefore, the reason why it said that this is a great judge, great principle in judgment is like the sheet of Rav, that even a robe won't help you against the Motz Mechaber of Araya. But the one I now want you to clarify something. Amai, why is there any problem, any, any question at all? Why do you have to come on to it? Why is there machlokas here? Nechzi igavr the zav and Why can't we take a look at the track record of the history of the buyer. Does this buyer normally shecht or does this buyer normally plow? And therefore that should be compelling evidence and that should be something that we could hold against the seller. 
When it says, so let's see, let's see, e gavar dezavan leridio. Is this a person that normally buys for plowing? He comes dezavan nechsasa. Is is somebody buys nechsasa means for slaughtering? So when it says, look, the case over here, you're right. If you could clarify that, then you'd use that as clarification. But the case over here is, is that this fellow, the buyer, sometimes buys for plowing, sometimes buys for shechita. So his own personal buying habits is not sufficient. The rove, according to Rav, is sufficient because most people, you can go buy the rove. But this person, individual buying habits are not, cannot be used. But when it says like this, it might be true, you cannot use his buying habits, but let's see the purchase price. The understanding is that generally, generally, that for plowing, it's going to be more money than for meat, right? So therefore, why can't we look at the purchase price and let that indicate as to what the understanding was between them? So when actually, let's see, if it was money that would have been for the price of plowing, then then you know it was for plowing. And if it's money that's used for the amount for what meat, for shkita is, then it indicates that it's for shkita. It's more like tzricha. No, it's necessary. Why is it necessary? The oker bistra v'kai b'dmei b'ridya. Because what the problem over here was that meat had gone up. There was a shortage of meat, and therefore the price for plowing, the price of meat, were pretty much the same. And you cannot use the money as an indication. All right, Amri Bnei Yeshiva said. Like this, they ask the following question. So it comes out, Lili, what's saying is, according to Rav Mekachtos, Mekachtos is that you give back the, uh, that the, the buyer gives back the ox to the seller, and the buyer then has to give the seller his money back. Whereas, according to Shmuel, everything stays status quo. And what it says like this, is that Lechora, what happens if the, 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 the seller claims I don't have the money anymore. I spent the money. I don't have any assets. I am asset poor. I don't have anything. What will you end up doing? So in such a case, you'll say, listen, you sh- I should take the ox back, but I'll use the ox to pay you because I don't have anything else. So what the one is asking is, it's very possible that the result will be the same. Whether you hold like Rav, whether you hold like Shmuel, the buyer is going to end up, whether he gets the ox back as payment or whether he gets the ox because the sale is not negated, he still ends up with the ox. And when it says, if there is no money that the seller can pay back the buyer, so he's going to have to take the ox in, 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 in lieu of the money. Like people say, that when the debtor comes, to pay you, pare ifra, even take brand, whatever he offers you take, because at the end of the day, if he hides his assets or he declares bankruptcy, you're not gonna get paid. So whatever he ta- offers you take, even if he offers you brand, if it comes out to the money that's owed, take it. So here too, you better take, keep the ox, because who says you're not gonna get paid? So it comes out at the end of the day, there's really, isn't it semantics? There doesn't seem to be much low, because at the end of the day, the seller that will, that will either use the buyer, the ox as payment, or the sale will not be negated, the result is that the buyer ends up with the ox. One says, well, look, it's still necessary. What happens when we know that the seller has money? If we know that the seller is a wealthy guy that has assets, then he cannot say, take the ox. He, you can cash his king. You can demand cash. I gave you cash. Give me back my cash. So therefore, it's true that in some cases, you'll end up getting the animal back as payment, but doesn't mean that all cases are going to be like that. There'll still be a difference in the machlokas. Now, let's go weiter. 
So now, Rav Amar, the one explains what we said before. Rav says, Why does he say that this, uh, the, 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 that the ruling is that you got to give back the ox, uh, you get back the ox and give back your money? He says, Zil because he says there is a majority. And majority, buy animals for purposes of plowing. And therefore, you can use that to say that therefore, he can't say, I sold you for shechita, because most people buy for plowing, and that overrides even the Motsi Mechavel of Araya. Even though you're taking money away from this guy, doesn't help you over here, because the rove can take away the Motsi Mechavel of Araya. But Shmuel's no. The seller can still say, even if most people are for buying, I intended that I'm a person that sells for slaughtering, I intended to be for slaughtering, Ordering, all right, and we don't follow the majority. The majority of transactions are for for, uh, for for plowing. You have to worry about the majority, the minority of sales are for shechita, and he is allowed to say this, which means that therefore the rove cannot help you, and the moti mechavero trumps the rove, right? And therefore, so beisura. And according to Shmuel, the only time a rove helps is a rove. Is it kosher? Is it not kosher? By isurin, by isurin we follow, but not by mamana. That's the primary principle, and that's why it's a great principle that it even trumps the rove, and that's why they use the expression at the bottom of Amin Aleph of why. They said, Cloud Godel, that this is a great principle in the laws of Din, in the laws of financial, that it even overcomes a rove according to the Shita of Shmuel. Now, we said before that, uh, that, that, that our Mishnah, the Rabbi Yehuda said, the name of Shmuel, goes like the Shita of Sumchus. And the one says, Tanya Namihachi, and we have a Brisa that says it more explicitly that our Mishnah Dafka goes in the sheet of Simchus, not in the sheet of Chacham. And what did the Brisa say? Shorja Naga Cheskapara, when ox gored a cow, when names the Shobravitzida, and you find the fetus dead by its side, im Yodea Ad Shaloi Nakha Yolda, if it is known, it should be Yadua really, if it is not known whether the cow gave birth before the goring, or post the goring. So then, that sends it to Tom, you have to pay damages on the Tom, on the Uber, the Revier, Now, that is Devre uh, Sumchus, because he holds, even though it's Motsi Mechavero Lavaraya, but he holds that Mamana Mutmasavik Cholkin, whereas the Chachamim disagree. Chachamim say is that a Motsi Mechavero Lavaraya is the primary principle here, and you want to get any money for the Uber, you bring the proof, otherwise, we do not give it to you. Amr Vishmul Bar Nachmeni. Where do we see this principle from the Torah? Where do we see this principle that the bearer of proof is on the claimant, that you want to take something away from somebody who's holding on to it, you have to bring proof. It says that anyone who has a claim, has a grievance, has to approach the base team. But yigash also means you have to present. What are you presenting? Yagish Rayalem, you're presenting the proof. Without proof, you cannot make the claim because you're trying to take something away from someone. Yagish, you have to bring your proof to take it away. Otherwise, you cannot just make a claim to take it away. So Rashi says the Chorah, Halamalikra. That is so Poshid. Why do I need a Pasuk for that? He says like this, it's logical. If you have a pain, 
to Azal Bayasi, you go to the doctor. You can't, if you go to the doctor, you say to the doctor, I have a pain. You have to tell him where the pain is, how the, what, you, he can't deal with it unless you show him what the problem is. But, so therefore you're too. Obviously, if you come to base and you want to make a claim, Show him why you feel your claim is correct. Without showing your claim is correct, we're not going to entertain your claim. I need to bring a raya that a Muslim live out of a raya. Of course you have to have a raya. How can I just claim something just as you can't go to the doctor and say, heal me, if you don't tell the doctor what exactly the problem is, what, where, 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 where it hurts. All right. Ella says like this. So then what is the pastor coming to teach me? That it says you have to bring a proof. What does it mean? It's coming for a different drosha. What does say? A very interesting uh, uh, situation over here. Uh, what, what, what is the, what is the, uh, uh, what happens is as follows, is, and this, this is a very common situation. Reuben comes to Shimon and say, you owe me a thousand dollars. Shimon says back, he says, well, you took something of mine and now it no longer exists anymore, it's destroyed, and therefore I don't owe you the $1,000. So therefore you're saying I owe you, you either owe me or you already got your money back. So now how do we know that in halacha, you first, the first claim you first deal with, and then you go over to the second claim. So how do we know that? That's what it's coming to teach me. That first we deal with the claim of the plaintiff, right? That means the one who, 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 who lodged the claim, the one who brought the, the grievance, he is the one that you have to deal with first. That Yagish he'll present it and they will deal with it right away. They won't put him off and deal with the, the defendant's claim before they deal with the plaintiff's claim. So Amin Ardoi, the Chacham said there is an exception to the, the Chacham of Nardoi said there is an exception to the rule. Pa'amim, there are times, that we have to deal with the nitva, that the defendant first. What will be the case? Let's say the situation is like this. Ruben comes and says, you owe me a thousand dollars. Shimon says, yes, but you took an item of mine and you took it that's worth uh, that, that, that now. And uh, therefore, you want me to pay the $1,000, you give me my item back. Now, the way we learned right now, first pay him $1,000, and then we'll make another court to get your item back. But there are times that we'll get the item back. What happens if the defendant is saying, I have somebody right now is willing to pay me a lot of money. If I don't get my item back right now, I'm gonna end up losing money. So if the defendant can show that if his claim is not addressed first, he will end up losing a significant amount of money. In such a case, we can show that we will deal with the claim of the defendant before we deal with the claim of the plaintiff, before we deal with the claimant's uh, first. Palmings, our times in Isdakigin, the Nitva, Trila, will deal with the claim of the Nitva before we deal with the, uh, with, with, the uh, with the defendant first, before we deal with the claimant, with the, why, Heki Dami, in what case is that? Because Zila say where there'll be a loss of money, there'll be a loss to the defendant if we don't deal with his claim first. Gentlemen, stop over here.